0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Growth Medium. I'm Sarah.
1: And I'm Mem. And
0: now today is, well this episode is pretty significant because it's our final episode and of course the topic we have chosen to discuss today is very significant in itself um, which is medical bias.
1: Yeah, so this episode is our final finale episode for this season. And it's an incredibly important topic. And it's a topic that needs more awareness around it. So we're talking about biases. Yeah, definitely. So we're talking about biases and biases in medical settings. And they can come in all different shapes and forms. When we talk about it, the first thing I guess that comes to mind is racial biases, which is definitely what we're going to talk about today. And But there are other biases, Mm -hmm. including, you know, for example, an obese person not getting adequate health care or biases against people of lower social classes, etc. And, you know, like one bias that like I can think of pretty well is the fact that uh, we as a society, we see a person who's fat or quotation marks fat um obese and we just automatically assume that they're lazy and that unfortunately can play a role in medical applications now it's important to note that what we're talking about today we're talking about it from a very uk-based approach we are talking about it from our own um you know medical system but i don't doubt that this must exist in other places as well it's a global issue but um
0: I don't think we're in a position to be able to talk about definitely not every single no. country in the world. So we'll do our best to cover what we can in today's episode. Um, but yeah, it affects everyone, everywhere mm. in the world. And I think it's definitely. really important to be aware of that. So when we think of biases, obviously there's conscious bias, but then there's also implicit bias. And I think implicit biases is, is a big thing to mention here because often we we like to think of ourselves as not having any biases, but unconsciously many, many people do. And it's it's not, it's, as I said, it's unconscious. It's not consciously made. So it depends on your culture, your background, upbringing, social circles, you name it. All experiences in life shape your implicit biases. Um, regardless we still need to raise awareness and tackle it because it has it has a significant um,
1: consequence on society yeah I think I remember being in an RE lesson once like a long time ago when I was 15 you know young and one thing that we learned was that implicit biases are pretty much formed by the time that we're five. So it's quite important to note that these do exist, but it's having the ability to notice and acknowledge Mm -hmm. that we do have these implicit biases to help us move forward. And we don't wanna invalidate anyone's experiences or anything by saying that any medical um, situation they've had is because of implicit biases. Of course, there must've been um, situations where that is not an explanation, But um, we do want to say that in the NHS particularly, well, I guess, yeah, in the NHS particularly, there's training around implicit biases. And it's also important to note that there's more acknowledgement of the systems and patterns of racial biases. And these have real-life consequences on people's lives. And that's exactly why we want to talk about it and raise a bit more awareness. I feel like modern medicine is really based on studies and experiences of a typical white male body. And we you know, we need to consider different types of people from like yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And um when researching this, you can
0: you come across this quite a lot where it's mentioned that you don't find a lot of research that properly represents ethnic minorities because they don't tend to take part in mm. research studies. So, I mean, consequently, you would think that the results of these reser- research studies perhaps isn't the best applied to these yeah. ethnic
1: minority groups. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because even with, like, let's take the coronavirus vaccine, I know, super controversial right now, but, um uh, like, more <laughs> ethnic minority people, I guess, particularly from brown households, are needed in these studies but there's a lot of hesitation to go into them and i cannot completely understand why but even Mm -hmm. from the level of the researchers themselves we talked about this in faria's episode from this um season even from the level of researchers there aren't there just aren't that many ethnic minority people or women in these researcher positions and i think that must naturally you know affect the recruitment in these studies and then how that can you know be applied to clinical settings so yeah it just means that sometimes these studies just aren't the best applied to every single person and then if you think of the impacts this can have well, you
0: don't recruit enough people, you don't have enough representation. If I mention some of the numbers, perhaps I'll put it into perspective. So the life expectancy of, of the population has increased, whereas on the other end of the spectrum, life expectancy has either stayed the same or decreased. And so we have, we have a, a larger uh, health inequality gap You know, and and, I mean, in today's age, why is this happening? That's horrible. And then we have, for example, women in poorest parts of of England Mm -hmm. are more likely to spend 34% of their lives in poorer health, whereas only 17% for those in rich areas. And then in terms of maternal health, which is specifically impacting the BME community, um... Researchers from Oxford mentioned that the rate of maternal death in pregnancy um, for white women is 8 in 100,000 compared with 15 in 100,000 for Asian women um, and then 40 in 100,000 for black women between 2014
1: and 2016. Honestly, that's such a huge difference in the rates. And personally, that's where I've heard of the most health inequality just on social media and stuff i guess that's where i hear it the Mm -hmm. most and i guess when we're talking about asian here i'm assuming we're talking about indian pakistani bangladeshi um because in the uk that's what's technically considered in the asian subcategory but of course there must be other ethnic groups that are also um you know affected by this yeah
0: yeah I, I don't. It's not. I, I guess when we say Asian, perhaps isn't limited to just um the, these groups. But yeah, that's what we 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 dren- we're generally talking about. And so basically, it's mentioned that there isn't really anything that should cause these women to have poor poorer health outcomes. What was found is that the care they 're receiving receiving isn 't really tailored to their needs, and again, we come back to the point where they 're not represented in studies um so you can 't tailor to their needs and Another thing we hear from like black and Asian women they aren't they say that they aren't given enough information or even the basics about, for example, the different birthing options available out there or how to breastfeed or you know all these different options and and situations that you have to consider
1: yeah that's that's genuinely so so upsetting because I personally there must not be a malicious intent when it's coming to not providing this information. It may perhaps come from, like we mentioned earlier, implicit biases. But fundamentally, you know, not providing this type of information is harmful to the patients. And particularly in maternal health, it can be harmful to both the mother and the child. So, you know, like, even I guess part of our culture that is quite, you know, something that has doesn't really work well with this, is in Asian cultures, particularly Bangladeshi, I'm speaking from a Bangladeshi perspective, um, we're very, very hush-hush about problems, about different issues. We don't really, it's quite hard to ask for help. And I think that must be something that makes these issues just even more, just exacerbate these issues a little bit. I feel like, I don't know, like I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who's pregnant and Bangladeshi and trying to think like, what would be going through my head? And I can just imagine that the first person I'd go to for advice would be my mum, would Mm. be, you know, my grandparents, my, my grandmother. But it's, I don't see that the first person I would go to is a doctor, which is, I think where one of the issues... ...can come from. Yeah. guess
0: scared to go to a medical professional... ...and ask for help. Is that what you're trying to say? hmm
1: I think it's one of those things where... ...not just scared about, you know... ...going to a medical professional... ...but it feels like... ...my mum, for example, will know better about this... ...than mm-hmm. a medical professional. And I don't necessarily... ...that's not necessarily true, of course. My mum has had her own experiences... But her experiences won't necessarily be mine. And of course, she's not a doctor. So um, she probably, she wouldn't know about all the maternal health issues. I guess
0: it's coming from a point where your mum understands your culture. She understands your background. So she'll be able to give you, I guess, more relevant advice that you'd be able to apply to your life. And I think that's, yeah, definitely. That has an impact. Uh,
1: Definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's important for the medical community, I think, to continuously like adapt to these changing needs because it's been a problem, I guess, since, you know, um, I would say from like, again, my own experiences and uh, what I know that it's been an issue since Asians have pretty much come into this country that um, healthcare hasn't really been as tailored to us as it probably could have been Mm -hmm. um and i think that needs to change and not just obviously not just for asians but for you know all ethnicities acknowledging that the needs for different ethnicities for different types of people will be different to somewhere i think
0: there's been a like an a rapid increase in in like understanding that this is a problem and awareness around this especially within the last year um like the NHS mm-hmm. published like a series of um articles surrounding racial bias in the NHS um it's on the BMJ and um as well in terms of the NHS long term plan we can we can see how they're adapting and they're changing and they're putting they are funneling more um funding into tackling these uh, inequalities and to see what they can do and decrease the disparities we see in healthcare. Um, so it's a really, the, the NHS long-term plan, it's quite, it's a very long document. Um, so, mm-hmm. But then certain sections, there's certain sections where they mention that they need to tackle these disparities And they have action plans been put into place. For example, we have, like, there's increased involvement of CCGs, which are clinical commissioning groups. And so clinical... Have you heard of them before? No. Okay, so basically they're in charge. So in certain areas you'll have different uh, CCGs and they're in charge of directing funding in each area of health Um, depending on the community's needs and so if there's an increased accuracy and uh, um, assessment so they assess the area and there's it's more accurate and representative of the healthcare needs that's why people need to come forward and and say okay we need this you know this is what our community needs and then we have increased accuracy and assessing of assessing the whole area and then these certain areas can be targeted yeah and you know the health needs of the population can be fulfilled mm-hmm.
1: you know I think that's actually an, a really really good idea I know someone who um so third year life we've <laughs> started doing our dissertations and I know someone um she's not doing a dissertation but she's doing um kind of a project and she I think is partnering up or is working with a charity i cannot remember the name of the charity and the mission of the charity is to be able to get more uh bangladeshi men in particular involved with their health because um the bangladeshi community um, is particularly high risk for you know diabetes and some um, heart conditions and we haven't really worked out why so part of her project is being able to set up an action plan to be able to um, get some more Bangladeshi men into um, surveys and questionnaires and ask them and be a little bit more involved in their health. And that's with the NHS as well. So it's definitely, like I can see that there's been a more increased effort. But equally, there is definitely and there's
0: increased awareness in universities mm -hmm. as well. And really changing curriculums and their students around this
1: yeah yeah Uh, particularly at my uni it's a very very big big thing and I really really appreciate my uni uh, uni for um, bringing that to our attention Um, before I was talking a little bit earlier about being um, more comfortable speaking to my mum about a certain health issue than a doctor and I think like I said that is one of the issues that might kind of um make health inequality a little bit worse so i think there needs to be more of an open dialogue between ethnic bme communities and um staff with the public and yeah with the nhs uh staff in general and i think we're we're starting to see that a little bit now obviously with um increased funding into specific projects etc um and yeah like one example that comes to my mind that really, really needs to be talked about with a doctor more is, like, close relative marriages. Um, I guess in certain Asian groups, um, close relative marriages, like first cousin marriages, are very, very popular. Um, And I guess increased awareness in the consequences of these marriages um, and what they can do for, like, future children, etc. That would be a really, really good place for doctors to come into mm-hmm. and i guess just to explain the
0: size behind this as blood relatives have a higher incident or like there's a higher possibility for relatives to be carrying the same certain recessive genes that can cause disease if homozygous in an individual and then hence the recessive or co-genital, congenital disease can appear in the children. Um, so I, I realised that I just used um, <laughs> two, two big words there. Do you want
1: to explain that a little?
0: homozygous meaning there are two copies of the same gene. Mm-hmm. So you have genes coming from your father and from your mm-hmm. mother. So if you have the same... Um, for each there are obviously different versions of each gene so if you have the same version of a gene um for a certain disease in and then your children end up with the with a homozygous genetic you know genotype yeah they end up genotype thank you homozygous genotype then the child may develop a congenital disease which means just inherited genetic genetic disease uh so yeah when you i guess that's literally it when you marry someone there's a higher chance both of you are carrying it at the same time and then your children could develop it yeah
1: i mean yeah (laughs) it's a bit of a sticky issue i've seen um you know even uh, couples in america of different races starting to talk about this issue a little bit more and Yeah, I just I think there needs to be more like what you just explained about why um, why cousin marriages can lead to higher incidences of diseases. That would be a really good place to start. And I think you Mm -hmm. did tell me before that there's like articles of um, that suggest that families aren't offered enough support when it comes to this stuff. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so
0: so basically they're not really given sufficient support. Like, so I don't know, have you heard of this before? Genetic counselling? No, I haven't. Me either. I just came across it recently when like obviously researching for this. And so it says that families aren't really given referrals to genetic counselling. Situations that perhaps they may need it. So genetic counselling is basically, if you need a genetic test or you you will take, so this is basically just someone to come and give you some guidance on how to navigate it. So beforehand or after just to walk you through the process what it could mean for you what the results could mean for your family um and like how you are affected by certain results or perhaps if you could possibly pass on a genetic condition to your child or or children etc and like it's it's just a whole array of of different situations where they can talk you through and really guide you through the process and i think that could be really helpful because it would given insight to people as to what perhaps the future beholds and and you know how they can best prepare themselves yeah do you know if that's just through gp referrals it should be right um i don't know the the details but definitely for genetic counseling you can get referral from your doctor um i will i will link the the nhs website in our show notes and it's just so you're you're offered a genetic testing free on the NHS if you're referred for it by a hospital specialist okay. and then as well same through
1: for the genetic okay. counseling
0: yeah
1: i think that's a really really important service to have and to tell people about it really mm. i think will help you know parents or couples mentally prepare for what could be what could happen
0: and because it's hard to work it all out by yourself isn't it you feel like you're alone and especially because we said that we don't really talk with it in our culture we're normally closed in certain cultures you know there's not enough dialogue within the family itself and um you feel like you're going through it alone mm. but there's there can be someone there for you to help for to help you to help you out and it's important that we raise
1: awareness yeah and you know what it it just comes down to there being another assumption, isn't it? Because um, it could come from an assumption about, oh, families don't want to change their ways. Families don't want to know about this. Um, mm-hmm. They don't want to offer these services because it could be offensive. Yeah, just a whole host of, um, I guess, again, implicit biases that implicit could come under biases, this. Implicit biases, yeah. But I think, again
0: same i mean the same points keep being repeated we need to have an open dialogue we need to have an open conversation just to sit down and 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 just talk about all these different situations um i guess we need to be reset we need to be able to receive this information and so and and the people who need to inform us need to inform
1: us that's that's such a good point it definitely needs to be a two-way street open communication it can't just be patient to doctor or doctor to patient it needs to be both a balance of both yeah Yeah. okay so within the nhs um i'm assuming bme staff have some inequalities that they face as well Mm -hmm. and um again there's some uh numbers here as well so doctors and medical students from ethnic minority backgrounds are actually three times more likely to fail their exams, which is devastating, actually. That's really, really, you know, hurtful. I can imagine that being really upsetting. Um, and then doctors from ethnic minority backgrounds and cultures are actually more likely to apply for higher positions. And in the UK, and the NHS, that would be like a consultant. In America, that's like an attending but they're actually less likely to secure these positions. So um, I think for ethnic minorities, it's about 57% chance when compared to a 77% chance um, for their white counterparts. So yeah, <laughs> that's a little upsetting.
0: If you think about it, they, they're more likely to apply, but then there's less likely to take to a secure position. You know, yeah. Like, why does that happen? Well, it could be. I mean, it's said that it's due to the fact we don't have enough BME representation in senior positions. So I guess it's it creates like a barrier, and um,
1: like a glass ceiling kind, kind of kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so there, like, there are some suggestions to say that perhaps when you recruit. You shouldn't before shortlisting, you shouldn't write down the names of the staff that, you know, who are applying to the jobs to prevent, you know, the impact of implicit bias on the possibility of them getting Mm -hmm. a place or being shortlisted.
1: I'm actually, I really, really, I I keep saying I really, really in this episode. I don't like a new word every episode. But anyway, um, I agree with that, actually. I think I like that suggestion. I've heard in a lot of um, private companies like law firms and stuff, um, they're starting to take off uh, names from applications and also universities so they can try to reduce um, the bias as much Mm. as possible. I like the idea. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean if you do these little these little alterations to the whole process it has an almost domino effect so small changes you do you incorporate small changes everywhere and in hopes that it, it should reduce these these inequality gaps um so I mean like we've mentioned incorporation of like different ethnicities and research studies raising awareness in a community targeting um these campaigns specifically, you know, um, and then including more BME staff in the NHS working force, just to and and then just basically increase engagement from these staff as well, so they can bring their own stories and and insights to the table, and we can change the system for the better. And I think this is this is what this yeah. is what they are doing. The NHS is is actively um, trying to increase the engagement. From BME staff, and they're recruiting, uh, including more BME staff into the NHS working force.
1: Yeah, and that can only be yeah that can only be beneficial because that representation, as I'm sure we've made clear, it's so important to ensure good or try to ensure better healthcare outcomes for ethnic minorities. And I guess on an individual basis we can all try to you know recognize that we do have implicit biases and when we see ourselves think like that we stop and mm-hmm. we think and we reflect on that and we you know adjust our actions yeah. accordingly definitely
0: wise words mem wise words <laughs> <laughs> this has been quite sobering
1: this episode hasn't it um but it's it's really yeah. important it's been a bit mm. of a yeah it's it's an yeah it's been a bit of a not an eye-opener a, a little bit of an eye-opener i knew these issues were there before but it's good to know that the nhs is doing something of course, about yeah. it yeah no i think they really are
0: trying to doing their best to to reduce the, the
1: these health inequalities yeah. <laughs> so it's important to be aware that these implicit biases impact you know disparities healthcare outcomes and widen that healthcare inequality gap which is not even a word that I knew was a thing before this um but you know I'm learning too um and it's also no secret that black communities particularly black women are the most affected by this it's really really upsetting and I just hope that you know we can kind of come together um as a medical community as you know BME and try to help as much as possible in the fight to you know more equitable healthcare
0: yes absolutely we need to come together to do to make this change
1: yep and I think this is where we wrap up this episode I hope that was thought provoking it definitely was for me and this is also where we wrap up this season
0: um you guys this is this is it from us well for now we will be back in february next year um but we will definitely be we'll continue to be active on our instagram so interact with us there on that platform and let us know if you want to hear anything uh, specific from us in the future um but in the meantime in the meanwhile we'll be busy prepping for the next season um or series, whatever you want to call it, and we would like to thank all of our guests who join us for this season. Thank you for your time and and effort and for answering all our questions, educating us and our audience. We really do appreciate it.
1: yeah, I just want to echo that sentiment. Thank you so much to all our guests for really bringing their expertise and you know a fresh voice in each episode to um the growth medium we're so appreciative of it and we can't wait to bring more people on um you know as sarah said we're becoming very busy uni is getting really serious people i said like i said it's time for the dissertation and we're just going to take some time to work on obviously the growth medium our name but also ourselves our studies and so we bid you goodbye for now and we can't wait to see you in february 2021 it won't be long time will fly (laughs) by um but as don't miss us too much yeah. (laughs) yeah
0: um but as per usual you can check us out on instagram as i mentioned at the growth medium and our references for this episode and all the websites will be available in our show notes on the website Um, But until next time, guys, Bye. bye.